I know that I started life as a really exuberant little girl. My family tell me that when I was a toddler, I was really full of expression and energy and charisma and I laughed a lot and I had a temper and there's a photo of me from toddler age a series of portraits that my family did all together but the the pictures of me at that point about maybe two and a half three years old I can see that child she looks like she's shouting laughing she looks like she's having the absolute best day of her life she sat on her dad's lap or she sat next to her sister and she's just killing it and living her best life as they say these days and I've always been really intrigued by that range of photos because that child completely disappeared And my goal often through therapy, through my self-help work, reading the books, was to try and become the adult version of that little girl. And I have a couple of pictures from that range framed, you know, up in different parts of my life as inspiration. How can I, how can I become her? How can I get her back? And it was a mystery until recently. Now that I know I'm autistic, I can track the disappearance of that person, the morphing and developing slowly into something false to present to the external world. And very recently, I'm beyond delighted to share with you that I think I've now recaptured that joyful, exuberant person that I was in the beginning. So I can make some sense of it all now and I can talk about it. I remember starting to get feedback and it started when I moved house with my family from a village to a city, a faraway city, not, not, not the nearby city to the village. And I started at a city junior school, which was bigger than my village school. And the kids were more diverse um, and a bit more worldly. I was sized up pretty quickly when I got there. And there was obviously a hierarchy of children, uh, which was quite new to... Well, that was completely new to me. We didn't have that in the village school. There were the cool kids, the not cool kids, and the the kids that didn't really feature at all. Um, For some reason, cool kids kind of honed in on me. It felt like I was a sort of a pet. But... I was instructed by those girls who I thought were my friends how I needed to behave, how I needed to talk, 
how I needed to dress and the things that I did that were annoying and a bit strange. So I was sort of corrected on a daily basis when I was with them. And I did my best to keep up with that and to tone down all of the things that I have been told weren't cool, weren't really acceptable. So, for example, I really liked very old-fashioned clothes, books, music. I liked things from another time and I liked things that were really formal. And my favourite things ever were to wear, I mean, really old-fashioned dresses. I had some hand-me-downs from older people in my family that were sort of slightly eccentric 1970s dresses and things, and I really liked them. They were absolutely not acceptable and okay to wear in the late 80s going into the 90s. So I had a lot of this correction and a lot of a lot of correction about the way I spoke, which apparently was way too formal, way too snobby. Um, so I sort of morphed the way I spoke as well at that age. I moved school again to a girls' secondary school. The feedback got a bit more blunt and a bit more direct then. I would often be told that I was aggressive or rude, or or the things that I was saying were inappropriate. So I was basically learning that the person I was wasn't it, and what I needed to do was turn into someone else. Now at that age, I was also just generally really overwhelmed. Um, Secondary school was incredibly difficult for me. I was very, very stressed and anxious. So basically what happened when I look back to about 15 and I was moved schools again, really unhelpful to keep moving schools. But my solution was basically to sort of just shut down. Don't try to be anything. Don't say anything to anyone. Don't like anything. Don't do anything. I went totally passive about 15. I became very self-conscious about feeling blank. I used to think to myself, I'm like a blank slate. And some people that I met along the way in my late teens would tell me that I was quite relaxing to be around. They found me quite, I don't know, gentle, quiet. I was, I had developed as a way to stay connected with people, very intense listening skills. So I would play the role of the active listener. And that was all kind of part of the passive thing. But I used to wonder, why would anyone want to hang out with me when I'm just blank? I've got nothing to offer here. I've got nothing to contribute. What was confusing was during all of that time, um, through my childhood and through my teens, there was this sort of other person, this kind of secret person that would pop out from time to time. Only if I was with people I felt very, very safe with, 
So usually my dad, if he was in a good mood, and my sister, my mum too, but it was very dependent on my dad's mood as to whether I felt safe or not. Or occasionally, if I was with a friend who'd known me for quite a while, and I was just having a slightly, I just don't care day. I just don't care. And also the conditions are making me feel just a little bit sparky, a little bit excited. And so it might be a really, on a really sunny day. If I was with one of my friends or when I got into late teens, maybe my boyfriend. And it was noticeable. It was noticeable to me and other people. This sort of other person that would pop out. And it would be a very expressive version of myself. It didn't even feel like myself. And it would usually involve kind of quite exaggerated dancing around movements, exaggerated arm movements, maybe making a little bit of noise, maybe laughing quite loudly. But I would catch it very quickly and turn it into some kind of, oh, I'm deliberately performing for you. I'm clowning for you. Oh, aren't I funny? And I look back and there were so many moments like that where it was a moment of unconscious expression, but it was a bit weird. It was a bit too childish for the age that I was at at the time. And so I would catch it and turn it into this clowning performance. This whole thing carried on into my 20s. The blank slate morphed a little bit as I started developing what I now understand was a a mask. I was masked and I had several strategies for this. I started noticing how other people behaved in the workplace and in social interactions. And I would hear the things that they said to people and I would notice the way that they said them, the things they would do upon arrival, the things they would do during the evening. I didn't know how they knew how to do them, but I thought, well, I can copy those. So I sort of developed a bank. I started banking all of these things that I could see and observe and I popped them in my, you know, encyclopedic internal space. And so I would draw on those. And some of them were just really straightforward things. And then some of them um, were really quite obvious as masks now in hindsight. I used to make use of TV characters and film characters or people that I met who I thought yeah they've they've really they've got a very convincing um, identity or persona or style and I wasn't trying to be obsessed about the person I just really liked the way they went about things and they seemed to get quite nice reactions from other people I worked once for a woman in a gift shop and I just thought she was sophisticated and well put together and had her life sorted and she happened to be French so 
what happened was I ended up developing a French accent. So much so that once, you know, at a social event, someone I didn't know asked me where I was from because they couldn't quite place my European accent. And then I had to come clean and say that I was from here. And that would sort of morph in and out. I would make use of the accent when I felt uncomfortable in spaces where I was having to meet new people and it would kind of come and go. And I would also make use of sort of costumes. So I quite liked I quite liked the aesthetic of someone that I met through work once in my mid-twenties. She was quite androgynous, quite a straight talker um, from somewhere in London. And I thought, oh, yes, I like this. I like this. <laughs> and not super consciously, I sort of ended up... I, I, she wasn't someone I saw regularly at all. But I sort of ended up channeling her and dressing in a, a shirt and a V-neck jumper and black jeans and skate shoes every day to work. And then at some point, that sort of morphed out and I started getting into the 1940s 50s vintage pin-up look which was really big I don't know whenever that was in the mid 2000s and I started doing that and I started you know with the hair and the red lips and the dresses and the form-fitting this and I thought okay this is cool I'm becoming a put-together self-expressive adult except I wasn't because it wasn't actually authentic expression I was playing a role I was pretending to be someone else I was literally dressing up as someone else I was talking like someone else and I still felt completely blank inside but I still had this weird childish thing popping out from time to time So the story goes a bit like I was telling it in the last episode, which is in the end, because of having such terrible mental health issues, so much confusion, so much overwhelm, so much neglect of all of my needs, I burned out, I discovered that I'm autistic. I discovered it through hearing about the concept of masking. So I had put together that I am masked. What I didn't have any idea initially was, so what's unmasked me like? And how do I even do that? What is the mask and how do I take it off? So a really interesting thing happened, which was through the sheer happiness of finding out about my autism over a a period of a few days when... I had been ill with COVID and therefore was recovering and had decided that I wasn't going to go back to work until I was actually well, which I knew was not that far off because I hadn't been that unwell. And then there was a weekend in the middle there. What happened was just because I was so unbelievably happy and because I was in such a very safe space in my home with my husband, the mask just sort of started sliding off there and then. So I I found myself on day two of knowing that I'm autistic in my kitchen cooking dinner, singing 
absolutely belting out at top volume. And it felt amazing physically. I could feel my voice vibrating in my body. And it felt really good just to be making that noise. And I was really enjoying the actual musicality of the singing. And I was belting it. And it I think it must have been Alanis Morissette or LP, because they're the only songs that I know and love and know the lyrics to, and they're really melodic. And I thought to myself, I've never done this before. I've never sung really loud because I'm happy. And I thought to myself, oh, I think I like being really loud when I'm happy. I think it's part of how I express my joy. And that was cool. And my husband came into the kitchen from somewhere else in the house and I was like, "Um, I'm singing really loud. And he was like, yeah, I know. I can hear you. Um, And I said, I think this is what I'm like. And he was like, cool. Um, And then the next day, he and I went to a really lovely um, garden centre that's got a big, lovely, crafty shop attached to it near where we live. And so I was really happy and feeling much better physically from recovering from COVID. And... It was a big spacious space with lots of plants in it and not very many people. And there was an exhibition on of some local artists and crafters that happened to be all really bright colours. And I'd been sort of realising over the last year before that that I I quite like colour and was sort of trying to incorporate it back into my life and sort of trying to wear colour because I hadn't ever. And basically... I went into this space and it was such a lovely space and the colours were so glorious and I was so happy that all of this stuff just popped out in terms of my expression. And I found myself walking around the garden centre, clicking my fingers a lot, clapping a lot, making sort of whoosh whoosh sounds and making rolling motions with my arms and hands and I was a bit like what the hell is this but also I just thought well I'll just go with it maybe this is part of it all I'll just go with it and my husband seemed very relaxed about the whole situation because I was thinking surely this is incredibly embarrassing for him surely but you know, I was doing my thing, kind of running around the shop, basically. Um, and he was looking at plants and I was looking over at him and he was smiling at me and I was clicking and clapping and whooshing and doing my thing. And then I went back to where he was looking at the plants and I was like, I'm clicking and clapping and whooshing and I'm very excited about the colour and I'm very excited and very happy. And he was like, great, carry on. And I went home that evening And I thought, I think this is what I'm like. And for some magical reason, my husband isn't embarrassed by me. So that's kind of how it began. The mask slid off in my safe home space. And I just kept observing it. I just kept observing what I'm like when the mask is off. 
And I realised why I had to hide it for so long. It's very childlike. It would be embarrassing to teenagers and to young adults who would be embarrassed about anyone noticing them or me. You know, you have to be pretty comfortable and pretty unworried about what people think of you to be unmasked like that in public. You have to be supported. You have to have people in your life who love and accept you to feel safe enough to unleash that kind of autistic joy, knowing that there won't be repercussions, that you won't be admonished, humiliated, put back in the box. You really need to feel very safe. What I'm noticing now is that I seem to be able, um, as long as I've got the energy and I'm not overwhelmed, I seem to be able to dial up and down how masked I am according to what I feel I need in the situation. So there's a safety element, but then there is also the considerations about the responsibilities that I have if I have a duty of care or in my role as a manager at work and to connect with people in a way that works for them. It's not going to work for everyone all the time for me to be full unmasked me and I don't necessarily need to all the time but what I am hugely benefiting from is having the the conscious awareness of how masked I am and having some choice about the dialing up and down including having the choice to not be fully entirely masked like I used to be all the time. Very rarely now do I think that I'm going to need to be full masked, either in a sort of shutdown passive version or in a fully pretending to be someone else and someone that I'm not. It's so rare for me, actually, that it's extremely obvious to me now when it happens. It happened recently. I went to see a friend, a really old friend, who I'm completely unmasked with, And she's completely unmasked with me as well. And her mother-in-law, who I've met once or twice over the years and is very lovely, was at her house. And I heard myself speaking to this lady and I was observing myself and my body language. And I thought, I'm, I thought I'm really, I'm really masked right now. And it was quite funny. And as I was talking to her, I was actually I was actually talking to her about realising that I'm autistic. And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to take the mask off. And so I said to her, I mean, I'm, I said, I'm masked right now. Took the mask off, carried on then as just me. And my friend said, yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, no, I knew you were. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am as well. She said to her mother-in-law, yeah, I am a bit um, as well. And yeah, our mask sort of slid off. And this lovely older lady was just incredibly sweet and lovely to us and said that she was really happy for us, um, that we were we were finding ourselves and and accepting ourselves. So I mean the the best outcome of all of this is I'm also just even getting to experience my joy because I didn't. When you squash down your self-expression for so long, 
and squash down who you really are, you can't really feel your real feelings either. So I've got joy back. I'm experiencing it and feeling it and expressing it. And then on a very different note and for a very different episode, I am also getting to tap into other emotions properly, like sadness and grief, which is important and healthy, but definitely a different topic. And in conclusion, this is definitely the 40-year-old version of that little girl, for sure. I don't feel disconnected anymore. I don't feel like she's someone that I've lost. I feel like she's integrated now with me. I've, I've come full circle and I've got her back. I've got myself back. I did lose her for a long time um, and that's sad but I'm more I'm more moved and I'm more emotional about the fact that I've, I've got her back and and I, I get to live the rest of my life like this however long it happens to be so I wish this for everyone I wish for every autistic person to find their true original innocent self to embody themselves again to feel their emotions for real and to feel safe enough to express themselves for real as well it spreads a lot of joy I get really positive responses from people now when I'm being more myself and when I dial the mask down even when it's there a little bit and I wish that for everybody all right folks till next time Bye-bye.